we are different. And so when we think about true gender balance, it isn't about us all becoming the same. It's how do we celebrate and then leverage that power of those differences. You're listening to Femcanic Garage, the podcast that features women in the automotive and motorsports industries, a community that elevates, empowers, and evolves by smashing stereotypes and breaking down barriers for women. I'm your host, Jamie Glossman. Buckle up for the ride, Femcanics. Pam Jeffords is in the driver's seat today. She is a senior partner at Sapient Insight Group, where she helps companies accelerate their performance and improve their ability to create a strong, equitable workplace. She's also a limited partner for the Jump Fund. The Jump Fund is an angel fund whose mission is to invest women's capital in women-led companies with growth potential. Pam is involved with many initiatives to elevate the role of women in business. Now let's sit back and enjoy the ride. Hello, Femcanics. This is Jamie B. coming to you, and I have Pam Jeffords in the driver's seat today. How are you doing today, Pam? I'm doing great. I'm having a fabulous uh, summer thus far, so cannot complain. Yeah, you were just saying you came back from Disney World with the kiddos, the adult kiddos, as you refer to them. I love Disney World. It is magical. It is. I'm like bursting at the seams because I've been so excited to interview you and get you in the hot seat because of your background. It just fascinates me and it's a passion of mine. My passion is DE&I and that's kind of this ongoing lifelong research that I've been doing that I didn't know I was doing, if that makes any sense. It was always kind of there trying to figure out this DE&I stuff. And this is what you do for a living. If we can go back a little bit, how did you end up where you were at? I guess the bird's eye view of how do you eventually get into DE&I? Yes, I think similar to a lot of your audience, you know, we all have a lot of lived experience living in an industry that's dominated by men for so long. And that was my path here was I spent 25 years in the technology industry and being one of the few women VPs leading sales organizations, I was always asked to, you know, be the women at whatever it was. And I, I did so very happily and, um, and thinking like many of us that we were driving a lot of progress, but it wasn't until about 2012 that we looked back and realized no one was following. And so I really challenged myself at that point. I had always assumed and called myself a, a woman leader. Maybe I can call myself a trailblazer. Maybe I can call myself, you know, inspiring others, but certainly leader means people are following you. And that was 2012 was really my pivot from this just isn't working into let me dig a little deeper and find out why, what are the main drivers for success and what actually was preventing success. I love it. And we're saying DE&I, but just a level set because sometimes we get into buzzwords and acronyms, right? So diversity, equity, and inclusion. We had a really interesting conversation the necessity around having candid conversations with senior management. 
I get chills thinking about that conversation that we had because I remember listening to you and what you said, and I'm like, holy crap, did she actually say that? And I'm like hanging on the edge of my seat because I want to know what they do when you said that to them. Do you mind sharing that story just to kind of give the listeners an idea of how candid and real we have to get in order to go to the next level? Absolutely. Well, and I think just to kind of build on what you were saying, it is important to understand the difference between the D, the E, the I, and the B, right? The belonging. And I think for the most part, people understand the diversity side of things, which is simply, it's a fact, it's representation. Do you have it or do you not? And then the E starts to get to be the fuzzy part, right? Is there equity in what you're doing? Are people getting the support that they need at that moment? And then the inclusion and belonging really gets to Are people able to be themselves and still succeed? And I would say for me, I definitely felt that there was equity as I was achieving my goals in the profession, but there certainly wasn't the I and the B, meaning I assimilated without a doubt. So when people ask me, you know, fitting in is the complete opposite of inclusion, right? And belonging. If you have to fit in, then you by definition are probably assimilating in. And those are the kind of conversations that leaders don't want to have is they want to believe if they don't see race, if they don't see gender, if they're just good, honest people, right? Why can't this just all work itself out? And a lot of the conversations that we have are around getting into why are certain people not getting promoted? Why are others getting promoted? And Leaders will come to me and say, Pam, I want to get uncomfortable. Like, help me get uncomfortable. Let's talk about things. And the, the phrase gets used often, you know, get comfortable being uncomfortable. And, and then when you start asking them questions like, well, in the last 20 promotions, they were all, you know, uh, 80% were white men. They're like, no, no, well, let's not talk about that. Like, talk to me about transgender rights, because that's not a conversation I have all the time. And they actually want to be uncomfortable talking about things that aren't within their organization that um, aren't necessarily happening to them. And that's what they mean by that. But when you start to get to the, let's actually talk about what's happening in your organization. Why are these decisions being made? What are the um, promotion rates within your organization? Then that starts to really get them uncomfortable. And it's kind of humorous when they're like, no, no, let's not go there. Or, you know, if one person's uncomfortable on the leadership team, We'll often hear them say, well, let's not talk about religion. Let's talk about politics. Let's not talk about these things because not everybody wants to. And that really is when, when we talk about opening up the conversation, having these courageous conversations, it's actually a, about what's happening in your organization, not always what's happening outside in life. And that is tough for a lot of companies. They really don't want to, they don't want to go there. They don't want to be challenged and they don't want necessarily to be, to feel like they did anything wrong. And um, to me, the biases, we've all had them. Anybody who says that they're you know, my age, over 50 years old, that we haven't made a decision based on our gut feel, which is kind of code for your bias, then we would be lying because we have. And it's not to say we're bad people. It just says we trust ourselves first. We trust those who remind us of ourselves next. And it doesn't mean we can't trust people who aren't like us. It just simply means that it takes us longer to trust them. And so if we're the type of people that make quick decisions, then our gut, quote unquote, you know, air quotes here, that gut, that bias is going to kick in and we're going to feel better making that decision about someone who reminds us of ourselves. So those kind of conversations, again, it makes people super nervous and uncomfortable and uh, and they tend to shy away from them. I'm just sitting here thinking about specifically 
the automotive industry. So a huge industry event is Apex and SEMA. It happens every year in November. It's like the Super Bowl for the automotive industry. Literally, for those events, it kind of takes over Las Vegas. You just see the entire automotive industry like takes it over for a week, five days. And I've observed it because I've been to SEMA and Apex, and I've heard stories about they actually bring in more prostitutes during that week because there's not enough in Vegas. And I sit here and think about culture, right? And you put yourself as a female in a leadership role where you're amongst other leaders in the industry, and it's a very male-dominated industry. And then you watch this happen all around you, but no one wants to talk about it, right? When I think of companies coming and saying, they hire you as a consultant say, okay, let's get comfortable being uncomfortable. And I'm sitting there thinking like, is it that they really want to change their culture though? Is it? I hear you. I also think expanding that gender beyond, you know, the women who might be uncomfortable with those situations and expanding it to the men who might, right? Fair. And saying this concept of, of that kind of behavior, a lot of times I definitely hear from the women that say not inclusive, it's demoralizing, all of those things, right? And then the men who say, I don't want to be a part of this either. And I'm feeling like I have to go or I'm going to be looked down upon. So there's just a lot of reasons why these types of events and programs should be stopped. And what we tell them is, again, I'm, I'm about getting tactical, right? It's not saying you can never do this. It's saying it shouldn't be company functions. It shouldn't be paid for by the company. It shouldn't be during company time. But again, if you want to get a group of your buddies together and you can still go do this and it's separating that what are we doing at work and it used to be that all of these things were work events right i had somebody challenge me well pam does that mean i'm never going to be able to go to a strip club again no you absolutely can go to a strip club but why is your company paying for it and why is it on company time and that's when they start to go oh because a lot of these individuals it's not about the money they have the funds to do this. And it's just stretching them outside of saying, is this something that should be done during company time? And they'll say, well, it payments bonding with our clients. And so we understand it's bonding with predominantly a lot of times your male clients, but we also see it on the other side with posting spa events for your women clients, right? All of those things should be challenged in today's environment to stop and say, what do we actually want to do? What should be funded by our company? What should be part of your business outing? And then what should you do on your own time? And so I think boiling it down to that gets people to go, okay, so you're not telling me I'm never going to be able to go to Vegas and, and do what I did before. I'm not judging you or telling you anything. I'm just saying, again, should it be on the company funds during company time? And I think that's the conversations you have to have. And it does make people uncomfortable because you are getting very tactical about something that's sensitive to them and perhaps has never had like a spider web, right? It's never really had the light shown on it before. We've all known it's happening. We all kind of laughed awkwardly about them, but we didn't try to stop them. I'm not sure, Jamie, what it is about this generation. And I applaud so much that they're coming in and saying, this is not okay. And again, many women our age, when we look back and say, no one was following us, we also have to face ourselves in the mirror to say, why didn't we stand up and say, this is not okay? These events are not okay. The, the sexual harassment's not okay. The side jokes are not okay. We used to give each other tips and tricks on how to avoid the situations. That was what we passed, thinking the best practice was to pass down 
hey, listen, when you're getting ready to leave these, because I, I spent a good bit of time in Vegas at conventions, and we would say to them, if you're ready to go up for the night, don't tell anybody you're leaving. Just say you're going to the bathroom, grab your purse and your bags. And instead of going to the bathroom, you just go back to your room because otherwise you might be followed. And and we all thought we were doing such a great, hey, I'm going to pass this on to you, Jamie, right? But the reality is we should have been passing it on to the guys to say, hey, if you see a colleague following a woman, stop them, right? We weren't giving the good men the opportunity to step up and step in. And now as we start to tell these stories and I go back and tell some of my colleagues, did you know I used to have to do this? They're like, Pam, I had no idea. So now it's all out in the open. We're talking about it. We're exposing those spider webs. We're saying this isn't okay. It was never okay before, but for whatever reason, we just didn't talk about it. I love that now it's exposed. We're all talking about it. We're sharing. It's not okay. And now the men, the women that can step in, are in positions of power and saying, uh, this isn't okay. I want to give one more story. There was a company and they had exposed some sexual harassment and fired a few folks. And the leader of the organization, when they announced that they were firing these people, it was a man, he was pretty upset. And he's like, I can't believe I had to do this. And because I thought they were good people and I had no idea they were doing this. And he fired them. And afterwards, the amount of people that came up to him and said, thank you so much for firing these folks. I always knew they were bad apples. I saw them do this. They were kind of creeps. And I'm glad you took care of that. He actually was more mad at the people who didn't say anything to him. And rightfully so. He's like, how did all of these people know that this bad behavior was happening? And they never told me. So he actually kind of came back and said, okay, now let's be clear. If you're a third party witnessing this, step in, tell someone. And so that's really where I like to focus the attention right now, Jamie, is we're not going to get people who are doing bad behavior, the small group of people, right? We're not going to change them. And it's hard to get to the victims of this and say, hey, you should have done something different. But if we can get to the third party bystanders who are watching these behaviors, who are seeing them, who maybe aren't saying anything, I think that's where we're really going to start to really put an end to this. So that was a long way of saying it's across a lot of industries, not only uh, the automotive, of course, um, and it's not only male dominated industries either. It's prevalent. One of the things that I love about our conversations is we don't just talk about theory. You get down to tactics, things that can actually be executed. Because this topic, a lot of people just don't know where to start or what to do. You know what I mean? And I want to mention one other thing is we talk about, you mean I can't go to strip clubs anymore? And I know that's extreme. Maybe it's just going out and having beers and air quotes locker room talk, right? But it's those things. In the mentality of, okay, if I hire a woman, that means I have to give these things up because now I'm putting my company or my staff at risk of sexual harassment charges. So it's just easier not to hire the woman. And it's real. It is very real. And even though there's the good guy that is the owner of the shop, right, and maybe he's not that way and... But now he's in a position where it's, my gosh, that's half of my staff I would have to fire. How do I get these jobs done? Well, it's just easier not to hire the woman, right? It's so prevalent that there are college professors in these trade schools sharing that exact message. I've had multiple women get their first experience as being the only woman in the class and their professor saying that loud and proud that if I had a shop, I would never hire a woman 
that's just a sexual harassment case waiting to happen. So trying to figure out, you know, how do women navigate that? The answer to sexual harassment is not gender discrimination, right? So yeah, you sometimes have to tell that to people. And most of the, the issues that we see in the press, the big Harvey Weinsteins and things like that, those aren't the appearance of sexual harassment, right? Let's be clear. And so I tell people the appearance of is certainly a concern, a valid concern. I get it. But gender discrimination, saying I'm not going to, that for sure is illegal. So when we talk about unlawful behavior, right? And so even saying it, I have men all the time say, Pam, until this whole thing dies over, I'm never going to go to dinner alone with a woman or I'm not going to mentor a woman. That is actually gender discrimination. You can be sued for that. So let's be clear, right? And you can lose your job for that. If you're nervous about the appearance of and you default to gender discrimination, that's almost a guarantee, right? That you're going to get um, in trouble. So Let's first baseline that, right? Because you can say, listen, I'm not going to go to dinner with anyone. I'm not going to go to dinner with men, women, anyone. That's not illegal. You might not help your career advance, but it's not illegal. But you can't say, I'm not going to go to dinner with women or I'm not going to mentor women or sponsor women or hire. And and you're right. It's very real, right? And we have to boil it down. That. And typically it's happening at the middle of the organizations and in those shops that you're talking about. And it's not... Um, your executives and your leaderships who are setting your um, your strategies. It's typically that one person who has eight people reporting to them, and it would be easier mm-hmm. if they were all the same. And so getting to that and understanding, again, it will look different. You might not be able to tell those jokes. But I go back to when I do focus groups, a lot of times it's the men who don't like the jokes either, and they're welcoming this new behavior. In fact, my son called something out. There was a special, I think it was an Oprah special, and one of the actresses were on the special talking about, again, sexual harassment post Harvey Weinstein, and they made some comment, like, here's a tip. They said, next time you want to tell a joke, go home and tell your wife and your daughter the joke. And if it's appropriate to tell to them, then you can tell it in the workplace. And I didn't think anything about it. And my son looked at me and goes, well, that's some gender discrimination right there. He said, I would actually tell you a bad joke before I would tell dad a bad joke, right? So even our tips and tricks were assuming that men were okay with this, these jokes and this environment and that it's the women who aren't. Let's really hack the household there and say, you know, a lot of men don't want to be in this environment either. And so that toxic masculinity is not good for men. It's not good for women. It's just not good, right? And so that's sometimes when the light bulb goes off for some of my clients. And they'll say, wow, imagine how many men are unhappy too. And we're like, yes, right? So, um, so kind of backing it back up and saying, Let's reset the environment. We're not going to judge what happened the last 25 years or why didn't we do anything. Let's just move forward and say, we need to address these. And I'll say it, you're right, it is hard because nobody wants to be the person to raise their hand and say, hey. So some of the tips that I I like the ouch oops method, which says, if somebody says something, I'll go, ooh, ouch, right? And they immediately look, wait what? It takes the formality out of it. I can say, Ooh, you just said this, right? Or if I make a mistake and I say something, I'll be like, oops, oops. And then I'll correct myself. But I can tell you, it's not fun. Even though this is my work, it's still hard, especially when it's a client or somebody who's senior to me. Um, I had a client the other day who talked about making a reference to, well, on the totem pole, where does this rank? And I was like, ouch, you know, let's try and find a different way. Or somebody, a client made a comment. If I have to sit on another Zoom call, I'm just going to shoot myself in the head. And I was like, ouch. 
you know, with all the mental health you know, issues and everything, can we avoid using that? So um, those are some tips that, again, somebody makes a bad joke, somebody does something or says something, you can just go, ouch. And it really is that casual way of interrupting that behavior. You're not saying, hey, Jamie, can we talk about what you just said a second ago? And can I tell you why that's offensive? It's not that formal. It's just, ouch. Guarantee you, they'll ask you, what did you mean by that? When I listen to a lot of these women talk, a lot of them are in small mom and pop shops. And the HR department is the same person as the owner, right? And a lot of them feel what I would interpret and describe as kind of trapped or stuck. Like, where do they go? What do they do? And it's turned into kind of like a personal passion to try to figure some of this stuff out because... For many years, my entire career has been spent in male-dominated industries. The last seven has been in the automotive. And you've observed things, I've observed things, we've experienced things, and it's turned into this like passion of trying to figure out how to navigate this. But one thing that I always had is I worked at larger companies that actually had an HR department. And part of the reason why I didn't pursue this topic as diligently as I am now is because of overwhelm of the topic and quite honestly, the hopeless and helpless type feel to it. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. A lot of times you're not necessarily complaining, you're sharing, you're pointing it out, right? And so right now there's no distinction. So if somebody says something or does something, and maybe you're not offended or anything, but you're pointing it out to say, hey, did you realize you did this, you said this? Um, there isn't a distinction. And so people assume that if you bring it up, if you point it out, if you help to kind of interrupt the behavior, that you're somehow complaining or a victim, HR isn't able to separate those. And that's one of the things that as a team of HR needs to be worked on, right, is when can somebody simply share an experience that happened to help modify behavior compared to full-on investigation, right? And right now, there isn't that nice place to just say, hey, did you realize that what you just said and how it could be taken. And I think that's why if we can get people to be more comfortable having those conversations, because losing your job is a very real, it's a fear, right? And if it's a small shop and the owner is the person doing it or one of the senior level people, losing your job is a very real fear. So doing it in a way that again, that oops or ouch, it, it is a method that again, it lacks the formality of going to HR. It lacks the complaining about it. You're just going, yikes, did you realize that saying that? The one that I hear all the time is let's open the kimono and see what's out there. I'm like, ouch, you're really talking about opening someone's dress. And I said, can we peel an onion? Can we open the curtains? There are a lot of things we can do, right? Let's shine some light through those curtains. But do we actually have to open a dress, right? And people go, I had no idea that's what that meant, right? And so a lot of times, just those words and phrases people use, they really don't know where they came from. And then you can kind of have a laugh about it, like, wow, okay, I'm not going to use that. But other things where if it is, you know, inappropriate touching or jokes or things like that, again, just using that ouch, like, I really don't love that. And then allowing them that moment to kind of process, wow, I was just given feedback. And giving and receiving feedback, it's very hard, but it's the technique that we all need to work on because when you get feedback, it stings, right? I don't care how mature you are or what kind of role you're in or how big your organization is, it always stings. And I always say feedback is a gift. 
Um, without a doubt, giving and receiving feedback is a gift, but it's kind of like chocolate, right? If you get too much of it, mm-hmm. then you're going to get a stomach ache, right? And sometimes it's like, okay, I just can't take feedback right now. And so getting in a rhythm, if you're in a small shop and asking permission to give feedback, you know, Jamie, are you open to some feedback? I can't imagine people are going to say no to something, just a question. Are you open to feedback? And then saying, listen, I don't like those jokes or, or maybe somebody else isn't liking those jokes. And again, you're that third party. That's really where that third party comes in so strong because most of the time they can see the nonverbal clues when somebody isn't appreciating mm-hmm. something that's said or done. And you kind of say, hey, Jamie, did you notice that that wasn't super great? So that informal giving and receiving feedback is what I like to actually teach people how to do very frequently. I guess just to pivot a little bit, you had mentioned a resource, and I didn't bring down my notes with me. What's the name of that? It's called Civic Dinners. Um, They're actually about to rebrand next month, but you can find them, civicdinners.com. And you can actually go on their site and create a community conversation around, there's tons of topics out there, and invite seven or eight people to it. It's curated. It's a little bit like a book club in the sense of you know what the conversation's about, and they give you three big questions that you each answer. It's free to use. You set up basically a Zoom call, and you get, again, five to eight of your friends or colleagues to jump into the conversation. You can also join a conversation with people you don't know around the world. If you just say, I want to jump into a conversation on on politics or religion or, or race or what it is to be an ally to the LGBTQ community, um, so a variety of ways you can jump in. And a lot of companies are leveraging that platform to help their employees have those courageous conversations mm-hmm. in a bit of a facilitated way. Mm-hmm. I'll tell you, Jamie, you have kids too, right? There's conversations that we know we need to have with our children, but you just can't sit down at the dinner table one night and say, okay, kids, today we're going to talk mm-hmm. about sex, right? It's just awkward. So creating those moments with your colleagues, with your friends to say, hey, we know we need to talk about it. Let's pick a time, a place, a space, and curate that conversation and do it with your children as well. Because why I love TV, watching TV with your kids, is if you pick the right shows, then those conversations are going to come up and they feel Mm -hmm. a lot more organic if you're watching, say, Ships Creek, right? And you're watching that with your children. And then all of a sudden, the conversation of different gender identifications and sexual orientations, it's right there. And you can all kind of go, oh, I didn't know what that meant. And you're learning a bit together. And that works great for families to find those moments that the conversation comes up. But in the workplace, it's really hard to create those moments. So this technology, this tool for civic dinners creates that space to say, okay, we're going to, we're going to talk about this now. I even think of like shop owners. When I think of smaller shop owners that they don't have an HR department, right? But they want to go and educate themselves, not necessarily with their other employees, right? It's their space to learn. What a perfect opportunity for them to go out, join a conversation on the topic that they have questions about, and maybe they just listen. Maybe they ask a question or two, but it seems so powerful and so safe. Absolutely, Jimmy. And I would say for anyone looking to do that, because it is about practicing. And especially the older you are, the more likely it is that you were raised not to talk about these things. So you were raised, you know, not to see race, not to see gender, 
not to see sexual orientation. And so now when we're realizing that actually is Mm -hmm. not okay, you're not seeing so many different wonderful parts of somebody's identity. It's hard to relearn that. And, uh, you know, we have people that are having to practice to say the word black because they were told their whole lives, no, you say African American. Mm -hmm. And that's a sign of respect. Black is not a sign of respect. But yet in the U.S., of course, as we know, we've got a lot of black people who are not African-American or younger generation is preferring the term black compared to African-American. So relearning to say it's okay to to say the word black, it's okay to acknowledge someone has a different sexual orientation than you have. And again, that's they're relearning all that and they want to just practice. Before we wrap up, there's one topic that we discussed, I think for me hearing it from you again is powerful. You blew my mind with the concept as we talk about women in navigating their careers. This concept of a sticky floor, it just blew my mind because I never really thought about it. And the more I started thinking about it after our conversation and I observed and even replayed some interviews in my mind that I had with other women, it's like, my God, I'm seeing this come up more and more, and I just wasn't aware of it. Do you mind sharing with the listeners what that is? Yeah. And it's not to discount that there's a glass ceiling, right? I mean, of course, in some respects there are, and there has been, but more often we find it's a sticky floor. And by that, what we mean is women and people of color, we might have a really good job and we have good stable income coming in. Our boss likes us. The environment's good. We have the balance that we want. We have the flexibility we want. And so the likelihood of us going in and taking another job, whether it's a lateral or a promotion, and potentially disrupting all these good things, we don't see that as a positive. And so we tend to stay where we are. So on average, women stay in jobs a lot longer than their male counterparts. But also we have this thing called meritocracy floating around us, which companies who say, well, we have a meritocracy. What we're hearing is, if I just sit here and do a great job, if I do my job and do it well, someone is going to tap me on the shoulder and tell me it's time to go for another job, right? And so we tend to wait for someone to say, hey, it's it's time. And men don't wait, right? They apply for jobs at a lot faster rates. They go for jobs that they're not quite qualified for. And so we used to laugh at that, you know, and say, oh, if a man can spell CPA, they're going to apply for the job. But a woman looks at it and says, oh, well, maybe I need to be it for five years or something like that. And speaking of the automotive industry, we see it in driving while intoxicated, right? Men are more likely to drive under the influence and women are 80% less likely to drive under the influence, right? Because our certainty of success has to be so high before we'll take action. And that is a great thing when it comes to getting behind the wheel of a car, but it disadvantages us in promotions versus men. Again, it disadvantages them when getting behind the wheel of a car. They're twice as likely to die in alcohol-related accidents. They're 10 times more likely to get a DUI because their threshold of success can be a lot lower before they'll take action. It doesn't mean they're reckless. It just means when they're 40% certain that they can be successful, they will take action. Amazing things. Advantages them going for a promotion, a new job, opening a business, asking for money for, for funding of a new business, releasing a new product into the world. All of those things advantage men. But again, there's some disadvantages as well. Board documents. Men are more likely to sign board documents if someone tells them they should. Women have to be 80% sure that the board document is correct before they'll sign it. So I always say that the same thing that makes women amazing when they get in the boardroom, which is 
their high certainty of success before taking action is the same thing that keeps them out of the boardroom because we're less likely to take that, raise our hand and take that shot. So again, the sticky floor is real. There's a lot of data around it. And so if we kind of go back to that analogy of friends drive drunk, right? Friends don't let friends not go for promotions, right? So we've got to have that built in system that says, you know that your women, people of color, historically underrepresented groups, they're not going to go for promotions. They're not going to go for jobs. They're not going to take those risks when appropriate, right? Not when it's getting behind the wheel of a car um, when you're driving after you've been drinking. But when it's in the workplace, when it's in the, the garage, when it's going for a new job, taking a risk, opening a new company, we have to push each other because, again, the data will say that we are less likely to go for that. Wow. It's powerful. And you always hear the glass ceiling, right? But I hadn't heard that. And I'm like, oh my gosh. And, you know, part of this is me reconnecting with my feminine side. And and what I mean by that is because I have always been in male-dominated industries, because when my folks separated, I lived with my dad and my brother. I always hung out with my brother's friends. I was in sports. And I think you kind of alluded to this before, like kind of masculine type path. So I am was raised and was in industries where those attributes were celebrated and I mastered them. So for me, like interviewing all these women and learning from them, there's some things where I'm like, huh. You know, my background is a financial background. I had my Series 7, Series 66. I was a financial advisor in the top firm on Wall Street. And this whole concept, when I'm writing down some content to teach women about financial stuff, it blew my mind when one of the women were like, oh, yeah, I got this message that women shouldn't be managing the money. Only men should. I'm like, what? Like, it was totally foreign to me. And then I did some more research, and it's like, oh, my God, this is a thing. But I was, like, blind. I was naive to those things. So really reconnecting with my feminine energy and femininity in general and what it means in general society, it's been an eye-opening experience for me, to be honest. (laughs) Yeah. And the stereotypes are normative behaviors, right? But reinforcing the positive side of it, because – When you think of men, again, and the stat that men have to be 40% sure of something before they'll take action, when it was always presented to me, it was presented in such a negative way. It was reckless behavior. Mm -hmm. Oh, they'll do anything. It's like, let's reframe that in the positive, right? It's why we have a lot of the inventions we have today is because they'll take chances, right? Um, There's risks to that too, right, that we've seen. But balance that out with what are the positive behaviors of women not taking those risks, right, is we do see better performance on boards because women won't sign documents. We see less driving while intoxicated because they won't get in the car. From a money standpoint, women actually do control the day-to-day spending, like the household budgets and things like that. Men tend to focus on the retirement. And when you think about why that is, when men are raised, the thing that men are supposed to do is plan for retirement and take care of their family retirement. One of the worst things that could happen to men in the U.S. is they didn't plan for retirement and they have to ask their kids for money, right? To them, that's a horrific uh, long-term situation. But for women, it's all about paying the bills today. And so to your point, when you find out, do women actually manage the money? What we find is doesn't matter if the woman works or not. Um, I think it's something like 80% of households, the women manage the day-to-day paying of the bills. But those same women that manage the day-to-day paying of the bill, only 20% of them know anything about the retirement. 
And so they're like, oh, I leave the retirement to my husband. And I do all the day-to-day financial. So our, we've conditioned to say the worst thing that can happen to us is we don't pay a bill. We miss a payment. We Our credit card shut off. That's the worst thing that happened to women. Men, it's about long-term strategic financial planning. So really reminding the strength. So when I heard that statistic and I was like, wow, I want to balance out everything. I went and got a male financial planner for my retirement a woman book career because you sit there and you go, gosh, I am a woman to your point. I'm going to probably have some of those tendencies. So I want to balance those out. And so that's really, I hope what we take away from it is that all of these behaviors that tend to be feminine or masculine, there's strengths to those. So let's celebrate those strengths, Mm -hmm. but then they disadvantage us in some instances. Let's remind ourselves when we're disadvantaged by them and let's create those reminders that says, Friends don't let friends drive drunk. Friends don't let friends not go for a promotion. And celebrate them because, again, we are different. And so when we think about true gender balance, it isn't about us all becoming the same. It's how do we celebrate and then leverage that power of those differences. So for me, that's been my evolution is looking at the research and trying to, again, we're not criticizing men. We're not criticizing women. We're just saying, listen, we, we do tend to act differently. Let's figure out those strengths. Let's leverage the strengths of both. We Absolutely. have a choice. We can choose to leverage what those strengths are, or we could choose to focus on what doesn't work. And it's that simple. Exactly. And I guess just to wrap things up, if you were to sum up one or two action items for a small shop owner and then for a woman that is navigating this male-dominated industry? What are maybe one or two pointers, like actionable items they could do? Yeah, for the shop owners, it is um, recognizing that people do want to talk about relevant societal issues at their workplace. We spend a lot of time at work using those spaces to, to have those conversations. And again, embracing that it might be uncomfortable, but people do want to talk about it. That again, an understanding that's changed, right? We used to not want to talk about all of these things at work, but now this next generation of workers does. So let's, let's figure out how we support it. And then for women, it's find your, your group of people, whether that's men or women that surround you that are going to push you because we do have that sticky floor and challenge each other. So if you know your friends need support, be there for them, push them, because we do need that extra sense of encouragement most of the time. And the other thing I'll say is talk about your pay with your women friends. You know, we still do have a pretty significant pay gap in the U.S. and Europe. And so the more you can talk to your friends and not be embarrassed to say, hey, here's how much I make, you could start to, to support each other and be more transparent about what that next job should look like. Love it. Pam, thank you so much for being willing to sit down, educate us all a little more, and kind of get us thinking outside the box on a lot of these things. Because it takes something that seems very big, very overwhelming. And there really are some basic things that you can do that can have a huge impact. Thanks for having me on the show. I love the progress that everyone's making around talking. I think I'll end by saying I probably was one of those people that said the time for talking is over, the time for action is now when it came to women's issues. But I actually now reverse that and say talking is the action. The more we can talk, the more we can share with each other what's going on, be transparent with each other. I'm a huge believer that we need actually more talking right now and sharing. I'm Pam Geffords. I'm a senior partner at Sapien Insights. And I'm a femcanic. Dorian Tedder is in the driver's seat next. 
Dorian is learning to navigate the automotive industry as a transgender man. He shares his transition journey that starts with being female assigned at birth and evolving into the person he was always meant to be, all while working in the automotive industry. This interview is a three-part series, and part one of three will be available next week. Get ready for a powerful, vulnerable, and game-changing episode. Until next time, Femcanics. Thanks for listening to the Femcanic Garage Podcast. You can find us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at Femcanic Garage. Check out our website, femcanicgarage.com, for swag and the transcribed for each episode. If you want to help grow this community, do me a favor and subscribe, rate, review, and most importantly, share this podcast. Spread the word. This is Jamie B. signing off. Are you a femcanic?